This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I have spoken to many people on the inside and on the outside of the cult following of William Branham regarding salvation. Many inside the cult whose walls are quickly starting to crumble, are asking us, can we find salvation outside of the cult? Will our children be saved if we leave? Will we ourselves remain Christian if we make our exodus? This week alone, I received multiple questions from posters on our websites and our Facebook pages, and realized that this is definitely something that should be addressed. Frankly, it should be addressed by pastors in the churches, but since they are not, we decided to go ahead and make a video about the subject. You see, everyone that I've spoken to about this, even from cult followers within the same churches, have their own mythical Brother Branham that they believe in. No, they do not bow down to worship him, and for the most part, they don't pray in his name. But believe it or not, they still worship him. You see, each one describes a different Brother Branham. And each one that they describe is complete fiction. Most of the stories that William Branham told were fictional, even the ones he told about himself. And anything that you put before Christ is an idol. And serving an idol is idolatry, which breaks the commandment, Thou shalt put no other gods before me. If I were to tell any of these people that they serve an idol, quite frankly, they would stop listening to me. But, Jesus Christ said this, No man cometh to the Father but by me. He did not say, No man cometh to the Father but by me, but in the last days I will send unto you William Branham, and you will come to the Father but by William Branham. You see, the very questions 
that start this response. Can Christians outside of the message be saved? That means that they're still ingrained with fear that without William Branham, you cannot make it to the Father. Therefore, the obvious conclusion is that that same programming, the programming that the fear instilled in their minds has programmed the people with a different intermediator between man and God. Also, just as people follow a mythical Brother Branham, they also follow a mythical Christ. You see, William Branham did teach the correct Christ and the correct gospel at times. Some people believe the real one, and those people definitely are saved. But William Branham taught other multiple Christs, all heresy. The man who claimed that Irenaeus was a church-age messenger taught several doctrines that Irenaeus himself devoted his life toward stopping. They were all a different Jesus. Branham also taught all of the heretical views of Christ, and here are some, but there are plenty more. He taught oneness, which they claim originated from the Azusa Street Revival, the Pentecostal viewpoint, that denied the fullness of the Godhead. The Father was not sending a helper as Jesus claimed. Jesus was asking Jesus to send Jesus. It does not align with Scripture. He taught the man-God. The Jehovah's Witness view that Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New, William Branham reversed it. Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old and stole it from Charles Taze Russell. He taught that Jesus was just a man until his baptism. And then the man-God was formed at the baptism. The man-God lived on earth until he was crucified, but... According to Branham, in the Garden of Gethsemane, God left him a man. So therefore, a man died for our sins, and how can a man save all mankind from their sins? It's heresy. He taught dualism. Jesus could not be his own father, so the Godhead contained these two. But the Holy Spirit was still Jesus. He taught modalism. Jesus is Yahweh. There are not three persons in the Godhead. And don't get hung up on the word persons. It does not mean human being. Persons has a personality, a persona, a mask. Jesus is Yahweh, is, is a form of modalism. There is only one. There are not attributes, so he's limited the Godhead. He taught the Islamic great prophet, and I'm sure there's a better name for this, but towards the end of his life, Jesus was a prophet, which he was. But William Branham taught that he was a prophet like himself. And God empowered the great prophet when he became the man-god. And he had the greatest healing ministry known to man. It makes you sick when you hear about it because he's trying to compare himself to Jesus Christ in the reverse. He taught Tao Buddhism. Jesus and Satan were equal at one time. The yin, the yang. 
He taught Gnosticism. Jesus was an angel. Ma Michael the Archangel was Jesus Christ. That also was stolen from Charles Taze Russell. But, believe it or not, he also taught the Bible's explanation of the Godhead. Sometimes. He taught the correct Bible explanation of the Godhead, which is correct, so there are some followers that accept it. There is one God that existed before the beginning of the earth, although he claims sometimes that there was no God at the beginning. There are three persons that we see in Scripture, not three human beings. William Branham would call them attributes of the same God, and sometimes that would lean towards the oneness, sometimes that would lean towards Trinitarian, although he denied the name. But in his teachings, sometimes, when he was correct, there are three persons that we see in the scriptures, and these three are one. There are, there is, Jesus Christ, the interceder between man and God. There is the Holy Spirit that Jesus asked the Father to send to the people. There is the Helper, the one that Christ asked the Father to send. And there's the Father sitting on the throne where Jesus sits at the right hand. And these three are one. Many of you would hear this and accept this. This is the Trinitarian faith. But to confuse the people, William Branham lied through his teeth about what other Trinitarians believe. Except for just a few cults, most Christian churches believe that there is one God. There are not three gods. That is heresy. You see, if your church teaches you that you cannot make the rapture without believing in William Branham, then your church has fallen into idolatry. You have essentially put another god before Yahweh. If your church teaches that you can make the rapture and still deny Jesus Christ, then you're not being taught idolatry. You're being taught the mythical brother Branham that could draw a bigger circle around those who drawed him out, which he said on tape. But think about this. If my church were to have taught that you could only be saved if you believed in Santa Claus. That would be, obviously, idolatry. And every single one of you would agree with that. If they believed in Santa Claus, but they taught Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, whether you believed in Santa or not, then it's not idolatry, it's just simply false teaching, which every single one of you would also agree with. But what you don't agree with that is absolute fact, William Branham is Santa Claus. There is not a single prophecy, not one, that can be proven to have came to pass as he claimed. And so the guy changed every one of his stories of the original prophecy. He had Gene and Leo, the tape boys, rewrite the prophecies, make them fit. He involved Lee Vale towards rewriting the prophecies, making them where they cannot be disproven. 
when they probably didn't exist in the first place, since she doesn't mention them until about 20 or 30 years later after the fact. There's not a single prophecy, but more than just that, there's not a single event that he tells in his life completely truthful. Not one. I have went to every single story that he told, and there's always more fiction than there is truth. And the mythical ones are nothing more than a fictional character that's going around spreading these good tidings. Santa Claus. 1 Timothy 4 tells us that these myths will cause many to de depart from the faith of Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, not the mythical one. Paul says that these myths are the teaching of demons. He says, 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, angels on the platform, teachings of demons through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What do we see in William Branham's ministry? Even his own followers know that many of his stories are myths. The stories themselves conflict with one another. Branham was insincere and he told fiction. Anything, anything that is not truthful is a lie. And any person who is constantly telling lie after lie after lie after lie after lie is a liar. Branham lied so often that his own conscience was seared by not telling the truth. To the point he would lie about other family members as well. Paul goes on and says, Who forbid marriage? Now, this man whose conscience was seared decided to preach a sermon entitled Marriage and Divorce. The single reason behind this sermon was that his own son had broken the rules that any Pentecostal believed, most Christians believe. It is scripturally against the Bible teachings to marry another person after having been married and being divorced unless your first spouse has passed on. So, we can't have an entire following watching his own son getting remarried when this was the great mythical prophet. Why would his son not follow the teachings? You have to do something. What do you do? Well, let's just preach a sermon and pretend that we don't know what the Bible says about this. Oh, this was a great mystery. Marriage and divorce. Let's pretend that we're so unintelligent that we can't even read the scriptures for ourselves. And let's pretend that we did not know what the Bible said about it. Let's pretend that now we know there's a line in the sand. Whoa, it was hidden in mystery, this thing that the rest of the Christian world already knew. It's great mystery, and I've heard multiple pastors say that William Branham brought us the mystery of marriage and divorce. Did they not read it for themselves? He drew a line in the sand, and any person remarried before the line in the sand, his son, had not broken the rules. Anyone who 
does it after the mythical line in the sand, the one where we pretend that we don't know what that Bible said, it's con those people are condemned to hell, excommunicated from the cult. I've talked to many people locally from the headquarters church who were told that after they remarried that they couldn't make it into heaven. The only way they could make it to heaven was to divorce their new spouse, and then they might make a servant to the bride. So William Branham's heresy that was done to protect his own son spread down to the elders of the church, and they thought they were empowered to decide who makes it into heaven and who does not, to decide that there's going to be servants to the little bride in church. I ask you, friends, is that in the Bible? Any person who's remarried before this line in the sand, they're excommunicated if, they're, if they do it afterwards, but before, those people were forgiven because his son fell into that category. And anyone who knows what else is on tape, Please send it in, because we don't know. We don't know what was on the full tape of marriage and divorce. William Branham had a button behind the pulpit that paused recording. I'm told there were two buttons. One that he could press and he could pause the tape, and another one that he could shine a light. And I ask you, why would you have a button on the pulpit that would turn a light up on the ceiling? Why? Other pastors, other churches don't have this. But we have one man with a button that turns on a light and pauses a tape who claims to be the only one that the handwriting was on the wall whenever a light hit the seven church ages that he drew on a board. I ask you, what was that button for? Why a button to pause a tape if you're spreading God's word to the nations? Do we not want South Africa to hear the full gospel of William Branham? Do we not want South America to hear the full gospel of William Branham? What was behind the snipped out portions? Send us your tapes. We'd love to see what's on them. Paul goes on and he says, To require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with, by thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made by the whole it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, why did William Branham preach against wine? It is the most common drink in the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, they drank wine. Even the Last Supper, the most famous meal in the history of mankind, they drank what? Kool-Aid? Oh wait, that was Jim Jones. No, they drank wine. They celebrate what Christ did and what the disciples were drinking at the Last Supper when every single cult takes communion. They drink wine in a little tiny cup, or I've been in some cult churches that drink from the big glass. I was behind one man that drank the whole big glass. 
which is another story for another day. But these cultures, cult churches, drink wine, but then they condemn others for drinking that same drink. It's a paradox. They just poured it into their mouths. It's a double standard. And it is totally against the Bible to even condemn it in the first place. And especially to condemn others who drink it. But he did this. Paul goes on and he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. He's telling us that when we see Santa Claus telling about the length of antlers, He's telling us that when we see Santa Claus saying that there will come an egg-shaped car, when we see Santa Claus talking about hunting stories and clouds that were rockets and all this crazy nonsense that has absolutely nothing to do with the Word of God, stand up for it. Be a good servant of Christ. Paul says, being trained in the words of the faith. And you see, at that time, William Branham did not exist. There was one faith, and that was the faith in Jesus Christ, not the faith in Paul, not the faith in John, Matthew, Luke. It was Jesus Christ. Paul's churches did not teach that you had to believe Paul to make it into heaven. In fact, there were some churches that had split, and they were raising up other elders, kind of like we're doing today. They didn't believe Paul, but Paul did not condemn them. Paul uplifted them and said, why the divisions? It's not Paul you serve, it's Christ you serve. Paul says, Be a good servant for Christ, train in the words of the truth, and the good doctrine that you have followed, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And there we have it. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Paul just told us, with his own words, not to have a single thing to do with not a single one of those recorded tapes. 80% of them. And I'm just pulling out that magical 80% that William Branham applied to almost every statistic. 80% of the content on those tapes is mythical. Fiction. Did not happen. Conflicts with his stories on other tapes. How can his father die when he was a young child and he had to support all of his siblings in Kentucky when he lived in Indiana when he was two years old? His father did not die until he was already preaching, recording tapes. The two cannot happen together. This one is a lie, or this one is a lie, or both are lies. They're myths. Did not happen. So, ask yourselves, what should we do? People are asking me, what should we do? And I'm going to tell you right now that if you have been in the cult of William Branham and you have listened to this guy who is an insincere liar who's been telling constant stories that do not add up, do not match each other, have nothing to do with the Bible. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to any man. Do not follow Billy Graham. Don't do it. Don't follow Oral Roberts, who was another false prophet, but that's another story for another day. 
Do not follow any single man, no matter who it is. If you leave the church and you get a new church, do not follow that pastor. Follow Jesus Christ. Follow what the Bible says. I follow no man. In my church, if my pastor says something that is not in the Word of God, I am not going to pay attention to it, and likely I'm going to call him out on it. If men had the guts to call out William Branham when he lied, there would be no cult. If they had the guts to stand up whenever he spoke doctrines that were not in the Bible, that even conflicted with the Bible, if men had the guts to stand up and say it in that day, there would be no cult. And I've, I've been asked this question, why did nobody do it? I guarantee you that people did. But people left. What we end up with, out of the massive following that could have been, we end up with this little group that did not have the guts to stand up to William Branham. The rest of them split, had nothing to do with him. Arne Baxter left him and said that it, it was becoming another Corinthians. So you ask me, what should we do? Who should we follow? And I'm not even going to answer it. I'm going to go to the very next section of the very same chapter that we've been reading, and I'm going to tell you what Paul says, because don't listen to me. You've got a Bible. Read the Bible, and that is your guide. The Holy Spirit that is within your heart is your helper and your guide and the spirit of truth, not the spirit of myths of some Santa Claus guy. Paul says this, and he's speaking to those who are asking what to do. He says, Rather, train yourself for godliness. Or, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds to the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying, You can exercise, and it's only going to help your physical body until it dies. But if you exercise training yourself in godliness, you are helping your physical body, and then after you die, your spiritual body. He says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Not partial. Don't believe this, but then believe this guy who tells all these crazy lies. Believe truth. He says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of the people and especially of those who believe. Notice he says especially because there were those at that time who believed the Gnostic faith. The same one that William Branham regurgitated to the people on recorded tape, Paul was fighting against it too. He says Command and teach these things. And then he makes a statement that I've never understood, but now that I'm reading the Bible and understand, this is astounding. He says, Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now what he's saying here is, if you're young and you're standing up against these old people who are believing in these silly myths, don't be afraid because God is going to help you. Be their example. 
Conduct your lives well. Love. Don't despise others who aren't in this cult. Faith. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that if, if you leave, you follow Christ. If you stay, you follow Christ. Everything is faith in Christ. He says in purity, do not mix false teaching and idolatry like Tao Buddhism into your teaching. Do not do this. Purity, be pure. He says, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. He did not tell them to start new doctrines, to do teachings of silly myths, to talk about antlers and crazy things like this. Don't debate until he comes back, which is exactly what the cult is doing now, those who think William Branham is coming back. Don't do this stuff. He says the public reading of Scripture. We should be teaching what the Scripture says, not what William Branham did or is going to do. He says to exhortation to teaching, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given by prophecy when the elders laid their hands on you. In Paul's letter to Tim Timothy, he's saying you have a gift, use it. He says practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that we can see your process. Now likely, Timothy had the gift of teaching or of knowledge so that he could spread the gospel. This passage does not say what Timothy had. But it's not a mystic wonder. Signs and wonders are not what we should follow. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that we can see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now think of that power. If we could ask any power from God and get it, would we ask for the gift of healing so that their physical bodies can be healed until they die? Would we ask for the gift of tongues? so that we could speak in an unknown tongue and nobody can understand or hear what we're saying unless there's an interpreter. Should we get asked for the gift of interpretation? Well, what if there's nobody speaking in tongues? Paul is telling Timothy that he has the power by telling others of the gospel and not great mysteries but just public reading of scripture he has the power to save himself and everyone who listens to him. If you're still held captive by this cult, I'm going to ask you this. Do you follow Paul's instructions? Do you command and teach against these mythical stories that William Branham told? Or are you too afraid to speak against the prophet? If you're young, are you afraid to stand up for your to your elders? Are you taking Paul's instructions? Think about that. 